But the question tonight is uh, a question that has been asked, and it's about uh, other churches of Christ that do not eat in their building. And they have a question about that, and they want to know if we are scriptural in eating in the building. Now, before I say anything about this, let me make sure you understand that uh, there are churches, even in this area, who don't believe that you should eat in the building. I have nothing against those particular people. I don't believe they have anything against us. There are some churches like um, this church and other parts of the country who will have nothing to do with us whatsoever. They think that we are extremely liberal, uh, but the congregation of people that hold that particular view in this area uh, don't draw a line of fellowship as far as this is concerned, and they have no problem visiting with us. In fact, they have been here for some things, and they have no problem with us visiting with them. Uh, they haven't withdrawn from us from any, or anything like that. I also make sure we understand that uh, we need to respect other people's beliefs, even when we understand that from a scriptural point that they may be wrong, but yet at the same time they're not wrong in a sense that it causes any problems as far as salvation is concerned or causes a problem as far as withdrawing fellowship is concerned. But basically the group of people, uh, even in this area, that don't believe that you should be eating in the building is a, a group of churches of Christ that are known as the non-institutional uh, branch of the Church of Christ. I don't know, the, but, better, not, I know a better way to put it. They're considered the non-institutional branch. And they got that particular moniker from the fact that uh, this, this whole idea of non-institutionalism is a fairly new thing. This came about in the 1960s. This is not something that has been debated by churches in the first century or uh, down through the years. This is something that just came about in the 1960s. In fact, the very first church to ever split over this, uh, well, I believe, was in 1957. And that's the first recorded church we've had that somebody uh, split over this. But it all came about basically because of Christian colleges, about whether or not churches should support Christian colleges. Then came the issue of orphan homes. Then came the issue of other things. And um, it was promoted by a guy, by the, a preacher by the name of Carl Ketricide. He was the biggest proponent of it, and he's dead now, but he was the leading advocate of it. And it uh, caused a movement, as I said, in the 1960s, known as the non-institutional uh, group uh, of the churches of Christ. They believed that uh, they were in the right and everybody else was in the wrong. So there were churches that were divided, and there were congregations that were started. Um, they became known... Uh, as the anti-group because they were anti so many things. And if you go across these United States and visit different non-institutional uh, churches, you will discover that they are, have various beliefs in what they are against. Some are against supporting orphan homes. Some are supporting against supporting uh, Christian colleges. Some are against uh, supporting a paid preacher. Some are against having Bible classes. Some are against having multiple cups. And, but the majority have one thing in common for some reason, and that is they are against eating in the building. And um, the, their main basis for this, there's some, there's some financial reasons about it, about using the church money. But if you are to ask them uh, why they believe this and what's their scriptural basis for it, uh, they'll ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to ask you to do that tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And verse 22 is their uh, proof passage that we should not eat in the building. 
Let me emphasize once again that I harbor no ill will, and I'd be happy to sit down and talk to somebody about this. If they group came in the building tonight, it wouldn't be a problem. And if they invited me to go speak at their congregation, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Uh, but this is uh, one of the views that uh, they hold. It's interesting uh, that the majority of the non-institutional group, there are some exceptions to this, but the majority of the non-institutional groups are very, very conservative, almost conservative to a fault. And that causes a lot of distrust and causes a lot of division at times. And for that reason, that particular group of Churches of Christ are starting to die out. If the information that I found online today is correct, there's only about 2,000 congregations in the whole United States now left that refer to themselves as non-institutional or, we, or someone might call anti. But anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 22, this is the text they use. It says, What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. And if you are talking to someone about this, they will say right here in the text, it says that we're supposed to eat in our houses. We're not supposed to eat in the churches. Well, there's a couple things that we need to first of all look at from a logical standpoint about what's going on here. If you look at the text, verse 22, it uses the Greek word for houses, is, is a Greek word, uh, O-I-K-A, o, o O-K-I-A. That means for houses or homes. But the word for church here, where it says, ye despise the church of God, the word for church there is the word ekklesia, which is the common Greek word for, for the church. But the word itself means the called out ones. It is talking about the group of people, the church. It's talking about a group of Christians that meet in a church. It is not talking about the building. When it says, do you not have houses to eat in or drink in? He says, or do you despise the ecclesia or the Christians or the church that belongs to God? It's not talking about the building. And before I actually get into more about the text and also tell you what the text is actually talking about... I just want you to think about this from a common sense standpoint um, because there's an old saying in, in, in debating and also in logic, that which proves too much proves very little. And that's some of the problem that you run, in here, run into here. First of all, I think the question from a logical standpoint you have to ask as you look at Scripture as a whole, is the church the building? Does the building itself have anything to do with the church itself? The building is just simply a place where the church comes together to meet. In fact, it's interesting. I've driven by non-institutional churches before, and it have a, may have a sign that stands, uh, sits on the outside that says, The church meets here. Well, that's correct. It's the body of people that is meeting in that particular building. There is nothing holy or spiritual or sanctified about this particular building that we're in. Uh, there's nothing um, like a temple. We know the temple's within ourselves now. There's nothing special and sanctified. I know that there are those in the denominational world who refers to uh, the auditorium where we have worship as the sanctuary, and that goes back to Roman Catholicism, but yet... At the same time, there's nothing uh, holy or 
or sanctified about this building. We just simply meet in this building. So from a logical standpoint, it makes no sense to say that one place is more holy than another place. All this place is is a place that we're meeting for worship. But also, if you're going to be consistent, as they're trying to say that we should be consistent, then the only place, according to this command, and you take it as face value, to be consistent, if this is a command to eat in our homes, then that means that is the only place that we can eat. Um, We couldn't eat in the church building. We couldn't eat in the parking lot. We couldn't eat in restaurants. We couldn't eat when we travel. The only place where we could eat, if you're taking this command as being a command to eat in homes, then that would be the only place that we could eat. So that makes no sense. But also you look at it from this point, standpoint. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 22 says, What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God? And then take it from the aspect that, the, that you can't eat in the church building, but you can eat in your house. From a logical standpoint, what happens when you start reading the rest of the Bible? Well, even in this very same book, 1 Corinthians, we discover this in chapter 16 and verse 19. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Now what are you going to do? You're supposed to eat in your house, but you can't eat in your house because it's the church. Where am I supposed to go to eat? You see some of the problem that you run into. In fact, modern church buildings like we have today did not come into effect for more than 300 years after this particular passage was written. So obviously it couldn't be talking about church buildings. Um, Church buildings are just simply a place where people come together to meet. Um, I was thinking about this earlier today, and I thought about how that when this congregation uh, was in its infancy and how that we were meeting over at the Walter Bickett School, and oftentimes the auditorium got so hot that we couldn't stand it, and we decided to move into the cafeteria. And that, from an expedient standpoint, made sense. It was a place where they served food, and we weren't going to eat there, though we did eat there at times. But we met in a place that serves food because that was the place that we were renting, and for expedience's sake, we were trying to stay cool. But once we got our own building, then somehow or another that changes. We can't have anything to do with eating. It just simply does not uh, make sense to me. But here's the thing that, that I think is the most important thing from a logical standpoint as far as the scriptures are concerned if you hold your place or mark at first corinthians chapter 11 because we're going to come back to it as i said but turn over to acts chapter 20 acts chapter 20 and here in this particular story we have paul who is traveling and he ends up in the city of troas and in verse 7 notice what it says And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached to them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continue his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embraced him and said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in in him. 
When he therefore is come up and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even until the break of the day, so he departed. Now, here we have the Apostle Paul on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. He is with the assembled saints. He is in a building that they are meeting in. It had a window that a young man could sit in, and this is where Paul was doing his preaching. And evidently he preached for a long time because this young fellow fell asleep and he fell down and evidently died, and Paul raised him from the dead. But the point I want you to see, notice what happens in verse 11. When therefore he was come up again, and we had this discussion before, but literally in the text it says, and had, and had broken the bread and eaten and talked a long while even to the break of the day, so he departed. Either they are having the Lord's Supper twice or they're having the Lord's Supper and they're having a meal. So I want to make sure you understand. They came together in verse 7 to break the bread. In verse 11, they broke the bread and they also ate. And I'm under the opinion, of course, that that is a meal they were having. My point is simply this. The same man who wrote the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 22 was somebody that evidently violated his own rule because he was involved in some type of fellowship uh, there in Troas. Um, Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 talks about how the early church were involved in fellowship. Uh, Jude verse 12 talks about how that there were love feasts that the first church, the early first century church was involved in. Uh, my point is that there are people, there were times when people had fellowship or had meals together for the sake of growing closer together. And also as we look at the New Testament, it says nothing about the building being holy. It says nothing about a building being used just for worship and nothing else. Instead, it's silent about those things. And if the building can only be used for worship, then the building can never be used for anything else. And that means we can never have anything else here. If this building has been consecrated just for worship, uh, we couldn't have the lock-ins. We couldn't have this building used by other people for other reasons and that type of thing. But really, the building is just simply an expedient to carry out the command to worship, whereas a fellowship area is just another uh, expedient or another area to carry out the expedient to fellowship. Um, before, like I said, it was like 300 years later before the first church building was built, and everybody either met in homes or they met in some other kind of facility that perhaps they rented. But the majority of the time, the church met at home, so this verse really doesn't make uh, any sense. And it's interesting to me that those churches who believe that you can't eat in the building will rent another facility to have a fellowship meal. And I often ask the question, if we're, you know, if we're supposed to fellowship, if something that is commanded, why in the world do you have to go to another building to carry out an expediency when it just makes good sense from a stewardship standpoint that you can meet in the same building and have the same thing uh, going on? Um, but anyway... That's my view as far as from a logical standpoint. It just simply doesn't make sense. And as I said earlier, that this is a fairly new idea. Uh, it was never even discussed until uh, the 1960s, and it took a long time for it to catch on with a group of people. And if it wasn't for a preacher by the name of Carl Ketcherside, that it probably never would have caught on. And this group of people, as I said, are beginning to die out because of the fact that they uh, there's a lot of... of dying out because they're so close together and don't want to let anybody else in 
that they don't do a very good job of evangelizing because of oftentimes just plain and simple uh, mistrust of other people and their views. But anyway, with that being said, let's discover what the verse actually is talking about so we can have a full understanding of it. But as we do that, let's go all the way to the very beginning of the book of 1 Corinthians. First chapter of 1 Corinthians. And here we discover what the theme basically is of 1 Corinthians. The church at Corinth had all kinds of problems. Uh, As you go through the different chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians, it seems like in every chapter Paul is dealing with a different problem. But the number one problem they had in the church at Corinth was a problem of division. The church was divided, and they were divided over many things. They were divided over what should take place in the worship service, about spiritual gifts and other things. But notice how in verse 10, when Paul gets to the meat of what he's going to be talked about, what he is going to talk about in the first chapter, and the whole book, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul says, there needs not to be any divisions among you. This is a problem the church at Corinth had. In fact, if you turn over a few pages to chapter 3, notice what he says beginning at chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual... In other words, you don't have the right kind of heart, the spiritual kind of heart, the kind of Christian you need to be. But I had to speak to you as being carnal or worldly, even as unto babes in Christ. Now, he is chiding them because they have not grown as they should as a Christian. They're still babes in Christ, and the emphasis is that they shouldn't still be babes in Christ. And he couldn't talk to them in the spiritual kind of way because they were so worldly-minded about something. Well, what does he say? Well, in verse 2, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither ye now are able, for ye are yet carnal or worldly. Well, why do you say that, Paul? For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? He says, you have got a major problem in Corinth, and that is there's a lot of envy, there's a lot of strife, there's a lot of division. It's keeping you from growing as the kind of Christian church you need to be. Well, you turn over to the situation that we have recorded here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I want you to notice what's happening. Beginning at verse 17. He says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. Now catch the full impact of what he's saying here. He's saying that when you come together, he's talking about the assembling of the saints, that when you come together for worship, it's not to your betterment, but it's to your detriment. That's a serious, serious thing to say, and that's why he says, I declare unto you, I praise you not. In other words, I can't get over this, that you come together on the Lord's Day, and the Lord's Day is supposed to be something that makes you a better person, a better congregation, a better Christian, but instead it's not doing that. Well, why in the world do you say that, Paul? Well, verse 18, 
For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And it's really hard for me even to believe this. He goes on and says, For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. In other words, there are people who are wanting their own way. Then he goes on, he says, When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Oh, wait a minute, Paul. We're coming together on the first day of the week. One of the reasons why we come together on the first day of the week is, of course, to eat the Lord's Supper. But Paul says... Nope, you're not doing that. Now, were they taking the Lord's Supper? Yeah, they were taking the Lord's Supper, but they weren't doing it the right kind of way. Were they partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine? Probably so. Paul emphasizes that a little bit later on. But the problem they had is there's no way in the world that a church can come together and properly take the Lord's Supper if there's divisions among them. The very word that we use for the Lord's Supper is called communion. And communion means to have communion with God and also to have communion with one another. We have emphasized from this pulpit how that the Lord's Supper is supposed to emphasize our unity, is supposed to emphasize our oneness. So Paul is saying that when you come together on the first day of the week, it's not making you better, it's making you worse. And you may think you're taking the Lord's Supper, but you're not taking the Lord's Supper. Well, what was the problem? Well, he goes on and tells us. He says, For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. Now, what is he saying there? Well, evidently, like we do here from time to time, and this was very common in the first century on every Sunday, because back on the, in the first century, they didn't have a day off from work on the first day of the week. They had to work seven days a week. They didn't have 40-hour work weeks like we did. So oftentimes, they would come together, and they would have their love feast, uh, at the same time, they would have the worship service, but there was something going on in this fellowship meals that was very glaring that showed their division. Evidently, there were some who were uh, more wealthy than others. There were others who had more food than others. There were others who uh, were uh, involved in things uh, as far as shunning other members when it came to their fellowship meal. In other words... Uh, they were hoarding all their food to themselves and saying, you can't have any. Or they were presenting some type of air where they were saying, I'm better than you. I'm rich and you're poor. In fact, I was reading uh, from a commentary uh, the other day, and I like the way that he translated this particular section of Scripture. Speaking about verse 11 now that we've getting, I mean, verse 22 now that we're getting to it, notice how he puts it. He's saying, he says, private feast should be eaten in your private houses? Or is it possible that you do not own any houses? Surely you do. Why then do you meet in in a public assembly to eat your private meals? Is it because you despise the church of God and wish to show your contempt for it by exposing the poverty of those who have no houses or anything else, making a parade of your wealth before them and publishing the fact that you do not consider them fit to eat with you? Here's where the problem was. He shames them with these questions. If they had a feast in public, brotherly love for each other would have suggested a common table at which all would fare alike. And on the consequence, and, and as a consequence, those who had, did not have enough food at home would have their wants supplies. 
But instead, what was having it, what they were doing is they were having their own little private meal in a fellowship meal and, and saying, oh, no, you can't take part in this. You're not, a, you're not a part of me. And Paul basically says, if you're going to do that, why don't you sit in your home, own home? If you're going to have a private feast, if you're going to have food and not share it with one another, well, why don't you just eat at home? There's no point in you coming here and having a fellowship meal if you're not going to fellowship. Now, folks, I know we might not do anything like that here, but we need to be very careful that some of these same things do take place in churches all over the world when it comes to a fellowship meal. Oh, we don't withhold food from other people, obviously. That'd be too crass. But one thing we have to be very careful of is that we don't fellowship when we're supposed to fellowship. And what I mean by that is oftentimes it's very easy for us on a given fellowship meal to talk to the same people that we talk to all the time, spend our time with the same people that we spend time with all the, all the time, and exclude other people, even if we're not realizing we're excluding other people. The whole purpose of a fellowship meal is to have all things in common, to grow to closer together with one another. But what Paul is saying here is that you, if you're going to do something like that, you might as well just stay at home. Because what's the point of a fellowship meal if you're not going to share and you're not going to have something to do with someone else. In fact, he says in verse 22, What? Have you not houses to eat and drink in, or despise ye the church of God? Now, why did he say that? What did he mean by despising the church of God? Well, what is the church of God? What is the ecclesia of God? It is the called out ones of God. The church is composed of people who are equal. The church is composed of both male and female, bond and free, Jew and Gentile. The whole purpose of the church is that God has made us all one. And so when someone in a fellowship meal excludes someone else or treats someone else or causes division within that fellowship meal, you have defeated the very purpose of why the church exists. And Paul is basically saying you need to just go ahead and go home. Um, I was reading a, a commentary that was entitled Critical, Experimental, Practical in the Old and New Testaments. And they talked about this section here, despise ye the church of God. Uh, they said that the congregation was mostly composed of the poor whom God hath chosen. And so why are you showing contempt for them? If God loved them enough to save them, then why in the world are you treating them differently? And so he goes on and explains to them, and I'm not going to read the whole section again, about the Lord's Supper once again. What is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? And he talks about what Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed. And then he goes on and says this, and this is where we oftentimes miss what he's talking about. He says, For as often as ye eat, eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. And whosoever, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Well, we are guilty of causing God to be, or causing the Lord to be sacrificed, which means we are sinning. And he says, we, when we do this unworthily, well, how does one unworthily partake of the Lord's Supper? Well, he goes on and explains. He says, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh that cup unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning 
the Lord's body. Now, I know that many of you have looked at that passage many times and thought, well, it's talking about that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, that somehow or another we're supposed to visualize His body and maybe discern what His body did on the cross and that type of thing. But in the context, that's not what He's talking about. The body He's talking about is the body, the church. The point He is making in the context of what He had talked about before He began this discussion, there were people who were showing respect to one another or disrespect to one another in the Lord's body. And he's saying if you take of the Lord's Supper, and that's the context of all this, if you take the Lord's Supper, which is a communal act, an act that shows our unity and our oneness, and you do it when there's divisions in the body, and you treat people differently that are Christians, then you're partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Because that's the whole point of the Lord's Supper. In fact, that's why he says what he says in verse 18. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And then he goes on and says in verse 20, you come together in one place, but this is not to eat the Lord's Supper because you're not eating it right. You're, you're eating it unworthily because you're not discerning the Lord's body. In fact, he goes on in verse 30, he says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And he talks about judgment, but he goes on in verse uh, 33. He says, Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. That is, come not together unto condemnation, and the rest I set in order when I come. In other words, if you're just going to eat to yourself, and you're just going to keep things to yourself, then you just might as well eat. If you're that hungry, you might as well just eat at home. But the purpose of us coming together is for us to spend time with one another, tarry with one another, grow closer as a family, not cause more and more division. Whenever someone takes the Lord's Supper and there's division between them and other members in the Lord's church, then they're defeating the whole purpose of what the, Lord, what the Lord's Supper is all about. And I hope I've done an adequate job of explaining that and answering that uh, particular question. But let me emphasize to you once again that there's, there's nothing special about this building. It's just a place where we are carrying out the expediency from the command that we need to worship. We could worship in the parking lot. We could worship in those woods over there. We could worship in a tent. We could worship in homes. We could worship in a school as we've done in the past. We can rent uh, a building and use it for worship. It might be a garage. It might be a cafeteria. It might be a hospital. It might be American Legion. It might be a number of things. It's just a building that we are rented. But when a church owns a building and it's their building, that doesn't change the characteristic of the fact that it is now a building. It's just simply a building. It's not a holy place. It's not a sanctified place. It's some kind of place that we need to walk into with reverence and awe. Instead, where our reverence and awe needs to be is when we come together and worship God Almighty and make sure we are pleasing Him, especially as Paul is talking about, in our attitudes toward other people. And um, just think about that from a common sense standpoint. And once again, I'm not being critical of those who hold this particular view. Uh, I can worship with them and fellowship with them. I disagree with them, but at the same time, I'm not going to castigate them because uh, they hold such a view. I can love those brethren and, and respect those brethren and hope that as they study more, uh, they may come to a, a different view.
than they have now. But we would not want to leave here tonight without extending the Lord's invitation. If there are those who have a need, whether it be to become a Christian by being buried in the watery grave of baptism, or whether it be uh, to ask for the prayers and support of the church, whatever your need may be, we hope that you'll come as together we stand and sing.